Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code presson25 at checkout for 25% off impress manicure and presson falsies. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and t-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello, and welcome to Characters on the Couch. I'm Jordana Horn, and I'm here with my new friend, Dr. Adam Stern. Hi there. Hi, and we're here for today's episode of Characters on the Couch to talk about a show that is so compelling and gripping that every time I watch it, I can't go to sleep after I see the episode. It's Severance. And I know you feel the same way, Adam. I cannot wait. I've been waiting all week to talk to you about this show. I can't wait. It is so interesting and mind-boggling to me. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is mind-boggling, pun intended. And so I, I, I'll i say, as always, we're going to be spoiling things for you. Mm-hmm. Stop the episode right now, hit pause, and come back when you've seen the whole season. Mm-hmm. And then we'll talk more. Okay. So having done that, having set up that buffer, setting the scene, here we are. It's this corporation, mm-hmm. Lumen. We're mm-hmm. not entirely sure what Lumen does, mm-hmm. which is part of the inherent and implicit nefariousness of it. They are, it's a, it's very much a factory town as it were, because everything sort of revolves around Lumen mm-hmm. and it's omnipresence and it's the financial nucleus of this town, which seems to be somewhere in the Northeast in a snowy mountainous, you know, semi-rural, not rural, but between suburban and rural location. And here you have this corporation where people work in an office environment nine to five. But what is different about this environment is that workers have been offered, we believe, offered the option of severance, which does not mean firing, but rather means doing something to your brain to make sure that there is your work self, your innie, mm-hmm. and your external world self, your outie, mm-hmm. and that those two worlds do not know each other, have no recognition of what the other is, mm-hmm. and no memory. So right. in fact, you've bifurcated yourself. Right. I mean, that, is that not like a, a psychologist's field day like, absolutely well you know i read I, I read the premise of the show and i thought oh okay it's it's a take on work life balance yeah and then i started watching the show and i said whoa whoa this is not what i thought it was this is a show about who we are as people who were born as who we wish we could be how life scars us and how we cope or try to cope around those scars uh, avoidance. It, it's. I mean, it's about so many different things. I can't even begin to 
to to say how the premise is is just just the start of it, you know. It is, and it's it's so amazing to me how much it manages to contain, mm-hmm. and uh, it it really it, it hits like every possible button for me in terms of you not only have this really freaky, vaguely Twilight Zone-ish kind of environment, but also there's a lot of humor here. Yeah. Very funny. Yeah. And it's very funny in a very dark and very uncomfortable way, which I actually really enjoy for whatever reason, whatever that may say about me psychologically. But I would say that a big part of it, you alluded to it, is you said work-life balance. And for me, it was more um, this American idea of work as a religion, mm-hmm. and which they, in fact, really milk with this idea that, right. you know, here, the founder has this these principles, these edicts that they're all supposed to live by 24-7, which are really very weird and amorphous and... Mm-hmm. Strange, and how about like the the idea of the ethics of enslaving ourselves mm-hmm. to our work, which really we kind of do because of various concerns ranging from health insurance to our identities. Right. Um, who we are as people is often defined in America by what we do. Right, right. We've gone in the last 30 years in this country, it feels like we've gone from like capitalism is good, let's do capitalism and uh, all the way to like, well, don't sell out to rise and grind. You know, you better keep working at it, keep doing it, work hard, the good things will happen to you. This is the ethos that I see in, in uh, or that's sort of evolved in different ways, but somehow this show, Severance, has captured it in a way that when I would watch an episode, and, you know, I work in a lovely department. I work in a department <laughs> that I adore, but it reminded me of things, you know, like like the way that any corporate structure incentivizes its workers by definition. It's by there's a carrot and a stick. And, and I mean, I, those things in this show are practically literal. You know, it's like yes. if you do really, really well at sorting these numbers that you don't understand what you're doing and why you're doing it. But if you do it just right, we will reward you with a trinket. You know, here's, and and the biggest reward of the quarter, (laughs) one of the funniest parts of the show to me is like a waffle party, a very strange waffle party. Uh, Anyway, so- A waffle waffle party that is burlesque, bizarre, surrealist enactment of various things in an empty museum. And by party, we mean- just you. Just you. Yeah. And <laughs> um, surrounded so by the cult of like, you know, the history of the place. The cult it, of here. That's right. Yeah. And this whole ethos. But really, you know, you got to think about it. And this is obviously, you know, this is sort of there, there's a lot. There are a lot of influences at play here. So before we get into like the real character analysis, I'll say that mm. there are definitely elements of everything from French surrealism to to eternal sunshine of the spotless mind and mm. this whole idea and like being John Malkovich and this whole idea of severing, cutting off part of yourself so as to be able to function in a different area of your life. Right, 
And really, you know, as as someone who has worked in various office, uh, all of my former office mates, hey, what's up? (laughs) You know, I, I would say that there were there's a lot of truth to the way that workplace relationships, workplace friendships that sort of are like this artificial hothouse kind of environment where you see each other more than you may see your partner or Mm -hmm. your children. And so you develop this kind of language and interaction. And in fact, I think that this show really goes, it cuts deep because it goes to the root that a lot of these jobs would really rather you didn't have a life on the outside, um, preferably at all, you know, and that the life on the outside is an annoyance. Right. It's an obstacle to productivity. (laughs) Yeah. Right. It's an obstacle to, you know, employees just saying, yes, I will do that thing that you want me to do, you know, right away. Yeah. Right away. And, you know, I don't, I don't need, I don't need sleep. I don't need to, you know, see my children or have them or give birth to them, you know, or any one of a number of things. And so the idea, these characters, each one, came to this idea of severance for different reasons, some better explained than others. So let's, let's talk about Mark first, because Mark, it seems kind of like uh, the most perhaps comprehensible of why he chose to sever. And that's because he lost his wife in a car accident and he, basically wanted to cut down the time that he would have to spend in his grief yeah. because in the office, he's a person who has no affiliations, has no grief, has no right. anything other than what's right in front of right. him. Yeah. Mark's, you know, we, we learn the most about Mark's background and his road to becoming severed because we see the most of his outside, his Audi, I should say. And we find out, we understand, you know, like, okay, this is this guy's deal at this moment. He's in such profound grief that he's chosen to go down this road and he's keeps defending it to himself, even as there are protests around it. And people are obviously sort of saying, this isn't right, but we also see him as on the inside, right? His any, we see a version of Mark that is un, it's, it's, it's not traumatized, right? And so in some way, it, it was, it was somewhere along the show that I realized the innies versus outies concept is a little bit of nature versus nurture. Cause even though they're the same age, they look the same. The innie has no trauma, has no learned life experience besides what he's seen or, or heard or lived in the, in the office. And so the difference between them, they, they have the same genes, they have the same biology. The difference between them is their experience and their psychology. And I thought that concept that the innies are like grownups in grownup bodies, children, basically. Mm. I thought that, and they're disciplined was, like ch- they're disciplined like children in an extremely condescending and infantilizing way. Whether by you know the waffle and egg party and the trinkets, Milchik is very much the iron fist in the mm-hmm. velvet glove, and Ms. Cobell is just yeah. uh, is just horrible and. Let- 
And well, I, let's just for a minute get into that because there we've talked about the innies and outies and the people who are severed, but there's another cohort of middle management, and then there's a cohort above them of uh, the board who we don't really know about yet. Right. And so the middle management folks, Cobell, as you said, and Milchik, they are not severed. They have access, not only do they have access to both worlds, they are playing multiple characters you know, in other words, they are infiltrating the Audi's lives in surreptitious ways. What is it? Imagine the psychology that would lead someone to that point of choosing to do that in their career as middle management for some corporation. No, that's so true. And I hadn't really given that much thought about that. You know, the Harmony Cobell slash Mrs. Selvig mm-hmm. character to me is in many ways, the scariest and Mm -hmm. yet also at the same time, the most broken of everybody. It's clear that she, in fact, has devoted herself to these principles of care and this whole thing. And then again, spoiler, you know, she is let go and and has nothing. And it's but yes, why? Why? So why? Why, Adam? Why would someone take on a job that seems like just to torture. I mean, it's like torturing, you know, like little animals at PetSmart. It it seems like terrible. It is terrible. It reminds me a lot of this very famous study from decades ago, the Stanford prison experiment. Uh, There was a researcher named Philip Zimbardo, and he essentially took an entire group of individuals and randomized them to either play the role of prisoner or guard, prison guard. And he ob- observed them for a period of time in those roles. And I, if I can recall from my early training, the, the takeaway from that experiment was, wow, the, the, the people who were randomly assigned to be uh, prison guards started acting like prison guards and in some ways really treating the prisoners Badly. Whereas just an hour before the experiment started, they would have been peers and perfectly polite to each other, you know. And so it was a statement, I think, about human nature that when put in positions where certain things are expected of you, you can sometimes fulfill those roles without even consciously choosing to do so. Mm. That's how I see it. That's that's the only way I can wrap my head around why Miss Cobell and Milchek are doing what they're doing is that. They, I mean, in Cobell's case, she she really has drank the Kool Aid of this cultish corporate religion, you know, whatever it might be. But you know, I'm so interested in, uh, you know, as we said, this we're we're spoiling this season, so I'm really I'm going to reference something from the very end here, which was just like such a heart pounding ending for the show, uh, for this uh, this season, I should say, Helly who in some ways represents the audience because we wake up with Heli in the very first scene. Heli is revealed to be a a descendant of this family that owns the corporation, that created the corporation. So why on earth would... would, And and Heli, the innie, is desperately trying, throughout the whole season, desperately trying to get out, even to the point of self-harm and suicide attempts, trying to get out of this situation. And her Audi again, is so entrenched in the cult of this corporation that the Audi has presumably chosen to do this. Mm -hmm. It's just, again, it's just, it's the kind of drama that I I have a hard time even 
wrapping my head around. Yes. And uh, I will say full disclosure that I am someone who I don't even like. I'm someone who my my son unintentionally broke my nose, maybe whatever, 10, uh, 12 years ago. And rather rather than having the elective surgery to fix it, I was like, nope, this is it. This is the new nose. Um, so I'm not someone who would who would willingly acquiesce to a brain surgery. So it's hard for me to get to even the idea of like even signing up for a routine cosmetic procedure, let alone something huge that, you know, it's hard for me to get over that that hump to get over that idea of something so dramatic. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's so interesting to me, your characterization before of the innies as children, how when Heli, the innie, Mm -hmm. sees the Helena of the outside. And so she, it's really, I I can't possibly explain it to people who haven't watched the show. And you don't belong here if you haven't watched the show. Right. So come back and re-listen once you've watched it. You won't regret it. Yeah. You won't. So in the end, in the last episode, when she emerges to consciousness and she sees that she is Helena Egan, she's part of this family, And that there's this whole exhibit. I mean, they're at this huge meeting slash benefit slash whatever it is Mm -hmm. where she's giving a presentation extolling the virtues of severance. This this thing that she, her any really want, it's really like a child, you know, shaking their parents back to common sense, being like, this is not the way that things are supposed to be. Right. I don't want this. Right. No one would want this. Right. And and even though the the appeal may be there on a conceptual level, the reality is terrible. And we don't know why. I don't think we know why Dylan severed. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Right. We don't, right. He's, is, this is, this, if I can just spend a minute on his character. Please. The, the, one, I, for me, as a father of, of young boys, the, one of the most powerful moments in this series was a, a scene where they turn on the, any version of the person's mind while he's at home with his family. And he's in like a closet and they've asked his son to like count to a thousand and not disturb them. 
but the son comes running in. And so the this is Dylan sees his son for the first time in the Innie's perspective, you know, in his life, realizes this little bit about himself on the outside. And that's the thing that breaks him. He was always all about the trinkets and the rewards. And that was something that he thought fulfilled him until he just got this glimpse of real life, that there was actually, he had a family. Why would he spend another minute in that severed body if he could be spending a minute where he could remember his his kids? You know, that that moment just blew blew me away in terms of how emotionally salient it was. Yeah, it, it really was. And I would say also on a parallel track, Irving and Bert, this relationship oh, between, oh, me too, between John Turturro and the inimitable Christopher mm-hmm. Walken, who is per- perhaps a friend of mine said, Christopher Walken is at peak Christopher Walken in the show. You know, this sort of weird otherworldliness of Christopher Walken really comes to play. The two of them have this latent attraction for one another that they do not really, that they don't really, that, that they're sort of testing the boundaries of it all the time. Right. And then... Bert retires and when Irving has this synthesis, he goes to, he sees Bert's home and he sees that Bert is partnered with somebody else. Yeah. And again, the idea of, well, why would you, you know, why would you leave behind the, the idea that we're meant, I think, to be asking ourselves, like, why would you leave behind someone you love? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I don't know. I mean, I worked as a corporate lawyer and was in the office until like two in the morning mm-hmm. every night. And that was, you know, right. that was not uh, as a young married person, that was not really like a, a feasible way to Right. Right. You know, compartmentalization is, is what a lot of us do in my line of work too. I'm a psychiatrist. I have to be able to turn off my work part of the brain in a, in a much less concrete way than in the show, but I have to be able to separate home life and work life, you know, in terms of it's otherwise sometimes they can eat away at each other. Right. And so for some of these characters, we know the motivation it, for, for Mark, it's escape it played by Adam Scott. It's escaping the pain of grief, right? For Heli, it's some sort of misfounded loyalty to her family, right? But for, for some of the characters, we don't have full access, you know? And, uh, and, and then of course, you know, we'd be remiss if we didn't, you know, at least I think this might be the very last thing that happens in the show is that we learn that the quote unquote therapist, is it, is it even called the therapist or a wellness person? Well, or, right, right. The well, they're sent to wellness, wellness person. Yes. Is actually the woman that Mark believes is dead, his dead wife. And so she's alive. So her Audi is, is apparently alive and was also working for this corporation as some sort of positive reinforcement, you know, guru. Uh, it's a very strange dynamic. And she plays it in a very strange way. And then again, I, I hate to keep harping on like the moments that I thought were so powerful, but when she reveals, you know, I'm a part-timer, I've only been alive for like 132 hours or so. She says something like that. It's because she's only alive 
from the innies perspective when she was doing those therapy sessions. It's all she knew. And so it's, it's, she was like a newborn, basically a newborn with language skills. Like that's it. You know, she had no knowledge that any version of herself had no knowledge of like the world outside or in social interaction or anything that we all take for granted. Super interesting dynamic. I, I, also, for, I, also, how about this idea of, <laughs> I want to talk about Rickon and I want to talk about self-help and Rickon is the brother-in-law of Mark, unbeknownst to his innie, who finds a copy of his ridiculously insipid <laughs> self-help book that has been left in, in the office through a complicated series of events with the Mrs. Selvig, Harmony Cobell overlap. And they find this copy of the book and that becomes their new uh, like Bible. Yeah, no, it's almost like, you know, the Egan guidebook or manual or whatever they call it is like the Old Testament and this is, becomes the New Testament. <laughs> yes. You know, yes. I, I, it's they they discover this and they are so, you know, we're presented, Rickon is presented to, to the audience as sort of like a, a new age fool, I think, you know, and that's how Mark's Audi sees him for sure. He happens to be married to Mark's wife, but otherwise, like Mark doesn't really respect this guy, the Audi. But the Annie is so naive to the world that these ideas, you know, there was a, a line in it that the clock on the wall may belong to the corporation, but the time is yours. And I was like, oh, that's that's very nice and clever, but that's also pretty stupid, you know. And But the any version was like blown away. How amazing. What an idea, you know, because they're, they're, they're like children again. You know, it's so fascinating. It, it really is. And I think what it says about human nature that... <sighs> For whatever reason, people can't necessarily just be happy in a windowless room sorting numbers into a computer. I don't know why, but for whatever reason, people seem to need more, whether it's ideas or relationships or a sense of they're not allowed to go beyond, you know, the macro data department in which they mm -hmm. work. And yet somehow they've managed to find Bert and his crew yeah. who are doing something equally incomprehensible. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, while we're at that, we, we should say there's a, the there's a division with the, where they're feeding baby goats. At some point, someone references a crying baby somewhere. The whole thing was so strange at points that I had to entertain the notion that like what we're watching wasn't I thought maybe at some point there was going to be a big reveal. Uh -huh. These are all elements of someone's unconscious mind or these, right. are, you know, it was so strange, but. Very but, Twin Peaksy, you know, yeah. there were, there was just that. I agree. This whole idea of what is happening, yeah. you know, where am I? Yeah. That fundamental sense of disorientation replicated, I think, for us as the viewer, what these innies are experiencing with anything regarding right. the outside world. Please, I was dying to talk to you about Irving's paintings. Oh, yeah. So to me... Tell so, me what so, that is. To summarize, the Audi version of Irving, all he does every single day of his life is come home from work, 
put on some some wood on an easel and paint a dark, dark, terrifying version of the hallway that leads to the break room. And the break room in this show, as you, as you listeners know, is basically a torture room. Right. It is not filled with donuts. Yeah. And so what to me it said was he has no conscious understanding of what he's doing is my, my interpretation. And what he's doing is an unconscious representation to show that severance isn't a complete process, Right that there are aspects of yourself that still are aware of parts of your life on the other side. To me, that's what it says. And that can be reflected in everyday psychology, you know, that 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 even uh, when we're trying to focus on one part of our life, you know, we're being impacted by the other parts of our life that we're not thinking about consciously in that moment. The other aspect of it that I think is notable is when Irving is when the innie version is is out and exploring the Audi version's apartment. You know, it seems like he it was a former military guy. You have to wonder uh, is this sort of like um, a post traumatic stress right. uh, situation? And traumatic reenactment is a big part of that in terms of painting something over and over and over again in the same kind of way. So, so that's my my quick take on those paintings. Yes, which are so creepy. And yeah. I don't, I really don't know how Irving, the Audi, <laughs> goes to sleep at night. These people are so, they're so troubled and they're, and they're so damaged. And I think that it's hard not to use value oriented language in discussing this, which I'm sure is looked down upon by by any psychologist or therapist, but is it, I mean, don't we need to sever sometimes to function? Right. We need, we need, we need to do a human version of it, right? A non-technical version of, of compartmentalization, focusing on what we care about when we care about it, not letting things bleed into each other. You know, I, I was thinking over the course of our conversation, well, who who among this cast could use, not the cast, but uh, among the, the characters could use therapy the most? And I think what I, what I would actually land on is having two separate group therapies, one of which is with the innies and one of which mm. is with the outies, because both of them, both of those groups made up of the same four individual people need to explore their, their, you know, uh, deficits, feelings, irrational behaviors in their own way. And at some point, maybe they could be unsevered and have a better outcome than, than poor Petey who, who doesn't make it. But that's what I think. That's how I would approach it. If we're thinking about how could we do some good? But, uh, you know, frankly, it's it's premature because we need, I can't wait for season two. We need to know what the heck is going on with this corporation. It's so true. and But I also need you to get Milchik and Cobell on your couch as well. Well, yeah. I mean, we got, how, would you, what would, how would you even begin with them? Yeah, so, so f- with Cobell, I think you'd have to approach it like you would with someone who was you know, sort of uh, at the tail end of a cult membership, you know, sort of deconstructing the mythology of whatever led them to that point. I don't know enough about Milchek to know, like, what's his motivation? How did he end up down this road? So for, for him, it would have to be to start out by finding out some of those details and trying to, again, break them down so you can build them back up in a more healthy, adaptive way than doing whatever it is he's doing in the show. 
Yeah. But what a great show. What a show. I'm so glad we watched it and I'm so glad I got to talk about it with you. Thank you. As always, Jordana, what a pleasure. And I always have to say that characters on the couch, we only talk about fictional characters. Nothing that we talk about should be construed as medical advice. If you or anyone you know is in need of uh, mental health treatment, please do seek it out from a professional. Thank you. Yes, and definitely if you're offered the option of severing parts of it, your brain, just don't do it. That's that's my <laughs> medical advice. Uh, yeah, you're, uh, <laughs> we're on the same page. Great. Okay. okay. <laughs> See you. Till next time. Bye. Okay, bye. 